Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from C21 editorial director Ed Waller, news editor Clive Whittingham, and senior reporter and kids editor Nico Franks as Europe's biggest TV market draws to a close. MIPCOM this year, like most conferences and events, has been taking place online rather than in Cannes and will be reflecting on the transition and picking out the major talking points. Normally on a Thursday like this, midway through October, Europe's biggest international TV market will be coming to a close. Distributors from all around the world will be packing up their stands in the Palais de Festival in Cannes and the C21 team will be scrambling to file our final stories from the market before hopping into a cab to Nice Airport. But this year, there is no normal. No physical edition of MIPCOM, and we are already home as the coronavirus continues to wreak havoc. The virtual incarnation of the event continues, however, and we've been able to log on all week to hear from a range of speakers, including Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos, Uber producer Tyler Perry, and Sky chief executive Jeremy Darrick. I'm joined now by C21 editorial director Ed Waller, news editor Clive and senior reporter and kids editor Nico Franks to chew over some of the highlights from this week at MIPCOM Online Plus. Clive, uh, you'd normally be overseeing two news feeds a day. How have things been in this uh, most unusual of weeks? Yeah, we were we were interested to see um, what it would look like and, and how it would go. We're obviously feeling our way through uh, 2020 and uh, and everything is, is new and confusing. I was up bright and early on Monday morning waiting for the usual deluge behind the curtain, if you like. On a, on a Monday morning at MIPCOM, we usually would get sent anywhere between sort of two and three hundred stories of varying importance and size I guess plus the ones that we would have dug out over the weekend ourselves and it was a case of picking the best 20 25 or so of those in the morning and then again in the afternoon and then doing that throughout the week Monday Tuesday Wednesday two feeds so we did prep for that to be the case again it just it didn't really materialise. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of deal announcements, I guess. Although it struck me they're probably deals that have been done in advance and they've just been used to uh, use this week to announce them. Certainly not the volume that we would usually have anticipated. Like you say, we've heard from from Ted Sarandos this week on how Netflix has has done quite well during the pandemic, but I, th- I think we kind of knew that from their financial results. Jeremy Darrick has been talking about the sustainability and uh, climate change that, that Sky are going very big on. The irony being that were it not for the pandemic, he'd probably have consumed some air miles and jet fuel to get down to Cannes to collect his sustainability award. And uh, we've heard from Tyler Perry on the diversity issue that um, has dominated all the television conferences so far this year. But overall, the volume of news um, has been far, far lower than uh, than normal. So if you were to pick out some of the big news stories that there have been what what would they be from the mipcom stuff probably ted sarandos's keynote stands out as the the big headline grabber of the week the other stuff that we've been leading the news feed this week has actually been more non-mipcom stories channing dungy moving out of uh, of netflix into into her new job meredith air leaving uh, nbc in uh, rather acrimonious circumstances has been a big restructure at disney um, as they continue to shift the business more towards their streaming but these are sort of non-mipcom stories i guess what would ordinarily be happening is everybody would be down 
down together in Cannes gossiping and, you know, we'd be frequenting the bars and the cocktail parties and picking up bits and pieces and getting news that way. Whereas this people business and networking business is having to get used to this new normal where we can't do that. So uh, it's different kinds of news and not necessarily news coming from MIPCOM, I guess. It's been interesting, though, in the interviews that we've been doing in the run up to this event you know, that we put out every every day on the podcast. Lots of distributors had already kind of positioned their businesses for this. They're able to, to do some form of, of trading using technology. That's obviously being promoted as well during this this week, this uh, MIPCOM Online Plus. But uh, to what extent are they really able to to function in the same way? And you know, what are the limitations of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably guilty of asking that question too often in interviews, because, but it, it does fascinate me personally as to what the event circuit and the conference and market circuit is going to look like in 2021 and beyond. I know I say this a lot in my interviews, but it kind of had got to the point where we could send a reporter to an event every week of the year probably apart from Christmas you could basically be on the plane going somewhere every week of the year to a television conference if you if you so wanted to there was already a, a big movement and talk around the sustainability and environmental aspect of all that traveling whether we needed to be doing it obviously as just said it's a people business and you can't replace the networking I think where you really suffer is making new contacts you can keep existing contacts going with zoom meetings and teams meetings and things like that but chance meetings with a producer you haven't worked with before or a buyer you haven't sold to before that kind of only happens at physical markets so they are going to come back what form how many of them you know which ones aren't going to survive is interesting to me and I think what this week has perhaps shown is if you're doing an online version of events I think you have to have a really good conference program otherwise kind of what's the point because the distributors have certainly had to move quickly this year and established their own way of marketing their goods and selling their programs and they've kind of done that using different technologies be it zoom meetings or powwow meetings or or however they've done it they've found a way so the incentive for them to all come together on a third party's platform just for a week because that's the week we're traditionally all together in can i didn't quite get the selling point of that if you've already been doing business online for the last six months why would you frequent a third party's platform just for that week just out of tradition almost i didn't i didn't quite get to groups with that and i guess we'll work out how well that's worked for them in in the shakedown but the the impression i get is that it was maybe a bit unnecessary and distributors are able to just or have been able to just do their business digitally anyway how the event circuit comes back i mean it's a it's a question that people have got a lot of money riding on because there's obviously money in events but like i said the event circuit had become very bloated before all of this and there had already been chat sustainability wise about how sustainable that was so it will be interesting i think to to see what the event circuit looks like on the back of this pandemic i just don't think people will want to get on the plane as often as they did and have probably realized this year that they they didn't particularly need to perhaps it's interesting though in what you were saying that you know we would normally expect a a flurry of deal announcements during a week like this i mean a lot of those deals would already be in the pipeline anyway it's a, a long time i guess since deals were concluded at uh, mipcom these these kinds of markets the entire events calendar and and the entire 
calendar of, of, of TV production has changed dramatically in recent years due to the fact that television just doesn't doesn't follow the same kind of cycle that it always used to with with the streamers producing so much. So um, I guess MIP was always the big place in the calendar for people to get together and, and, and simply to chat. Deals might not be done, but they really do need that FaceTime. And it was interesting hearing your interview yesterday with Rob Clark from Fremantle saying exactly that. It is the one event that he would attend every year. And it is still really important to get that FaceTime and, and to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings a focus. I, th- I was I was chatting to David Cornwall at, at Scorpion TV a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that, that that focus isn't there. It's sort of, I mean, we know it. It's the same for us as well. The way our job has gone from being very varied to, to very similar every day, every day is the same. And without that focus of these big markets, like I said, I just don't think that MIPCOM this week brought that same focus that it usually does, that you know, getting ready, getting all your materials, your programs, launching programs, getting it all ready to go this week. That doesn't seem to have happened in the same way digitally. And like I say, events bring a, a focus, be it on a particular genre or in the case of MIPCOM, just the biggest market of the year. And that focus isn't really there at the moment. It's it's just every day the same in television distribution. So I guess we've got to wait and see, haven't we, next year, like what what the event circuit looks like and, and how it all works in the, in the shakedown. The other thing is at the moment, distributors seem to have had quite a good year because finished tape is very valuable to, to broadcasters at the moment. Something they can pick up cheaply in big volume is, is hugely val- valuable to them at the moment. We've seen things like Channel 4 picking up all of Scrubs and Channel 5 picking up all of the Golden Girls just because it's cheap and there's lots of it. A few rights issues. Next year, it, distributors are going to have this problem where perhaps they're not going to have got as much new programming because they haven't been able to produce it in such volumes this year because of all the lockdowns. But they've also sold the back catalogue that they've got already um, because broadcasters have been so desperate for finished tape so this time next year I wonder if there'll be that that dearth of content coming into whatever form MIPCOM and MIPTV take whether there'll be a dearth of content for distributors that they won't have the new stuff and they've already sold their old stuff um, and how that looks and uh, how the industry copes with it Ed what were your main takeaways from the week I agree with a lot of what Clive said but I think I mean this is just part of the evolution of MIPCOM because it's it's changed over the years you know when I started going to MIPCOM 20 years ago or whatever it was it was a place where, you, where buyers went to find new programming and watch it for the first time that was why there was so much emphasis on video screens on the stands and you can actually see the content for the first time nowadays and and for the last 10 years or more buyers have been able to see the content ahead of the market and they just go down there to sort of shake hands on a deal or relationship build and discover new uh, new relationships I think what the, the pivot that MIPCOM's tried to do is to try and become a place where people can generate new content and build the relationship to make new content and that's something that they've been trying to do for a number of uh, a number of markets now uh, a place where you can sort of go and, and meet people who would help you develop new scripts people you know that, that whole emphasis on development has been a part of that because you know as, as Clive said and as as you said earlier you know the, the old cycle of buying TV in the fall is no longer there anymore you know people buy TV all the way all year round and put it on air all year round and so the old uh, cycle of, of the business is, is uh, not quite the same um, and so a lot, 
Nipcom like all events of trying to move into a place where it's uh, it's about generating new content and that's something that our event content london has done and loads of events events around the world are trying to get into that space and and also yeah distribution has evolved as well because you know previously it was just about events like Nipcom were just about selling finished tape and then as distributors became more involved in the finance of future product they became more involved in development and production and financing production and getting that last bit of budget together so that the green lights can go on now perhaps it's going back a little bit and and distributors are much more about finished tape again because of the production hiatus and the, and the, the dearth of new product because of coronavirus so it's just that ebb and flow between distribution production development and a lot of the events are sort of surfing that wave that doesn't necessarily mean it's the death knell for events like MIPCOM it's just a continued evolution some of the stories that did catch my eye are some of the, the takeaways from uh, this week at MIPCOM Online Plus was quite how um, the uh, the streamers are uh, buying up particularly HBO Max new, that new streamer on the block if you like uh, very much making a big statement that it's in the market for acquired programming despite being backed by America's possibly biggest studio, Warner Brothers. It's in the market for acquiring and paying for license fees for, for foreign product, foreign language product a lot of the time. You know, they, they were buying a lot of UK stuff like I Hate Susie, lots of kids programming from Blue Ant. They, they bought uh, French-Israeli thrillers from Studio Canal with Possession. So they're, you know, they're really making a statement about we are in the market for foreign language acquired programming. You know, Gomorrah, they bought a lot of a lot of international stuff. And uh, Jennifer Kim, the senior VP of International originals there has been doing some of the circuits you know the industry circuits online to make that statement to um, international distributors that, that they're in in the business very much taking a leaf from the playbook of Netflix you know start by buying up international product and then move very quickly into the production of uh, original product some of the other stories that emerged this week which caught my eye was um, you know new and setting up new and connect uh, and and making another big statement that it's in the market for English language programming you know together with new and distribution and TF1 studio and real one entertainment you know it put out that call for english language products seeking uh, european co-production partners you know it just underscored that trend of french production companies and distribution companies becoming much more central to the industry that's been happening for a couple of years now but not just new and connect but you know obviously we've sold banerjee buying endemol we've seen media when in the process of buying lagadere studios and teaming up with the german studio uh, leonine to create a european giant so french production companies becoming much more important and ambitious and uh, getting much more sort of integral to the English language side of the business as well. And on the format issue as well, there was a lot of uh, formats launched this week that reflected a bit of a sea change. One of the trends that we touched upon, this response to Black Lives Matter in the sense that cop shows uh, were waning in, 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 in significance because of the, the popular reaction to that, that horrific killing of, of George Floyd. And so cop shows like Live PD were cancelled by A&E and cop was cancelled by Paramount and a lot of um, alternative reality shows and formats have started reaching the market that emphasise a new kind of hero that aren't cops but emergency workers, nurses, the people that have been made heroes by the pandemic or at least had their heroism recognised. Um, so we had a real job nurses which is a new and distribution format launched at market. We've had a lot of deals for a format called Emergency Call from Lineup Industries which has recently been picked up by ABC in America uh, 
and the U company Bride launched Helicopter ER, which is a reality show about um, emergency helicopter pilots. So there, there could be a, a new wave of this kind of show, putting the spotlight not on cops, but on other emergency uh, workers and, and heroes from the pandemic. Something else, another little takeaway that came out during this week was, you know, Narcos, which is one of Netflix's uh, big brand original productions being picked up by Pluto TV for AVOD distribution in America, which is a, a bit of a first. It's, it's um, you know, obviously a big show that Netflix has um, built a lot of its business on, and it's now going to be freely available to people that watch Pluto TV, which is a Viacom CBS platform. I think the significance of that deal is it's not just limited to uh, one of Netflix's sort of crown jewels going to, to a rival platform, but it just shows that um, a lot of the original productions that Netflix boarded all those years ago uh, were done uh, under license from big studios and those licenses are beginning to expire so a lot more uh, shows that we think of as Netflix exclusives Netflix originals are going to start dropping into the distribution ecosystem because those license periods have expired we ran a story C21 ran a story a while ago about the crown uh, getting into that sort of similar situation and the rights reverting to the production studio Sony and then perhaps appearing on other platforms around the world so this could be the beginning of a little trend that a lot of exclusive shows that, that Netflix would have liked who have hung on to are going to become available to the general market. Quite how how long a trend that's going to be, I'm sure the deals that Netflix does now are very different to the ones they did early before they were global and before they had their own production hubs around the world. I'm sure a lot of the Netflix originals that they produce now won't fall into the distribution ecosystem in the future, but it's an interesting, an interesting trend. So at the start of the week when we spoke... Um, you were also highlighting the fact that Korea was the country of honour this year. And also Mike Picard, our editor of, of Drama Quarterly magazine, was was talking about the significance of, of Russian programming as well. So any more thoughts on those two topics as, as the weeks progressed? Yeah, well, um, there was obviously the country of honour was marked by NBC's chief producer of documentaries, Jin Man Kim, doing a keynote, and he was flagging up how how Korea is now in the market for international co-productions in the factual space to overcome increasing production costs and declining audiences. Now, Korea has has, has done some factual co-productions in the past, but they're obviously making a big statement that they want to do more. They've cracked the international drama world with shows like The Good Doctor and you know the whole going back Korean wave almost 20 years ago with Winter Sonata. They've, they've sort of cracked drama. They've cracked animation, Korean animation animation has been selling for the last 20 years around the world, you know, all the way back to Pororo, The Little Penguin, uh, and Puka, and all those sort of shows from yesteryear, right up to shows nowadays and Korea has cracked formats you know the last couple of years have all been about the masked singer uh, you know I can see your voice and loads of other unscripted talent shows from from Korea and now they seem to be planting their flag in the factual space as well they want to get involved in big international factual productions and co-productions so that might be the next step in their sort of global expansion plan and also more news from a lot of Kore- uh, Korean format companies one of the points I made at the top of the week was the growth in independent production companies uh, now being able to retain rights and sort of wrestle them away from the broadcasters in the same way that UK producers did 20 years ago. And some of the most active, the more active companies in terms of news coming out of MIPCOM were the independent Korean companies like, uh, for instance, Something Special, which is a startup by uh, a former CJ format chief, uh, Jinwoo Huang, set it up at the top of the year. They did a co-development deal with ITV Studios uh, and their subsidiary on Moza formats to create new formats 
much to the global market and something special divvying up the rights for Asia and ITV Studios taking the rest of the world. Again, something special did a format swap deal with the Canadian company called Media Ranch. So I think there's going to be a period where Korean independent production companies and development companies are are getting much more active in in the international market. Aside from Korea, another country that was in the the spotlight a little bit this week was Russia. There was a lot of uh, Russian drama hitting the market uh, with its own uh, sort of nickname, Moscow Noir or sometimes Soviet Noir. They're obviously um, taking a leaf from the Nordic Noir sort of playbook and pitching it under its own brand. Uh, So there seems to be a lot of um, Russian programming, Russian drama in particular hitting the market. You know, we saw a a nice deal for a Russian series from NTV called Shepherd, which has been picked up by Israeli distributor Dory Media Group and sold to broadcasters in Poland and Hungary and elsewhere. And, And, you know, new shows from Russian companies like Yellow, Black and White. They have a show called Sherlock, The Russian Chronicles, which is uh, a nice period drama that seems to be traveling the world. And also Gazprom-backed GPM Television, which you know has everything from string services to production, arms and broadcasts, is hitting the market in a big way with its own dramas. So maybe, you know, in the same way that Nordic Noir dominated the market for a couple of years, you know, longer, you know, a few years ago, maybe the, maybe the future is uh, in this Moscow Noir. Watch this space. Nico, as Clive mentioned at the top of the show, Ted Sarandos recently promoted to co-chief executive of Netflix was probably the the highlight, I guess, of uh, among the speakers this week. Uh, you covered that session. What what did he have to say, and what what were the takeaways from that? Yeah, it was a very interesting Q and A, and I think it speaks to one of the positives actually of MIPCOM going online only uh, is the fact that they can get Ted Sarandos as a keynote, that really really high caliber of keynote. That sometimes you know, there's always top speakers at MIPCOM, but I suppose it does help when the exec doesn't have to leave their house that you can get them to speak. So yeah, he covered producing in a pandemic, the recent managerial changes and how he wants there to be more of a focus on quality over quantity in US TV and the TV that they make. And on the pandemic, Sarandos said that Netflix is now mostly up and running on all of its original productions all over the world, adhering to strict coronavirus safety protocols. And he mentioned how Netflix has been able to benefit from being such a global company. Um, You know, they're present in companies like Iceland and Sweden that didn't shut down completely and, and productions really have continued throughout the year and they learned things on those productions that they've applied to other countries and they're really focusing now on how to manage in a world with COVID-19. They're not expecting it to go away anytime soon so they're working to keep their cast and crew safe and working and making sure the talent feels safe because obviously that's very very key to the kinds of high-end premium productions that they're making and I've heard people say it's costing between 20% and up to 30% markup on live action productions to factor in the COVID-19 safety protocols. And I've heard of one major high-end show that's been made by a US streamer that's spending between six and eight million dollars on testing with crew members sometimes being tested three times a week and COVID departments being up to 15 people. So the US streamers and lots of broadcasters are taking this very, very seriously to keep the show on the road. And you can always trust the US television exec to put a positive spin on things. And Ted Sarandos did reference the increased costs, but he also pointed to unforeseen benefits of all this testing and safety protocols because he's saying that actually productions are now running much more smoothly. They're saving shooting days sometimes now. The days are shorter, sets are better organized, and there's fewer people on set and that helps to keep things running on time. So he was uh, putting a positive slant on the pandemic, but there's no getting away from the fact that it is causing streamers and companies to make very, very tough decisions. Uh, Glow was a Netflix original that was meant to have a fourth season, but Netflix has decided to cancel it without that fourth season 
because it's a it's a wrestling comedy about a, a women's wrestling association and the kinds of scenes that they would want to be filming just aren't practical when you have to film um, like you do in today's environment but he used that as a way into talking about how he feels like the tv industry and i think he was talking specifically about the u.s tv industry having too much of a focus on a show's running length and how long it runs you know there's talk of hallowed 100 episode marks which means that shows can go into syndication and and those deals you know in, in the past have been worth millions and millions and have been the bedrock of the u.s tv industry for many many years now but we're seeing obviously those foundations starting to ebb away now um, and he was really focusing on how netflix wants to just produce the exact right amount of episodes of a show not forcing it to i guess jump the shark like so many shows have done in the past and really tell stories for exactly as long as they feel they should be which he says will result in some shows only running to three seasons but he didn't but he didn't obviously uh, rule out a show running to multiple multiple seasons and he said it's rare that you get a show that can do that but Netflix are looking for those kinds of shows and when you get them they're obviously enormously valuable and he said that the reasoning for keeping Netflix originals going will always be tied to how much an audience cares about it relative to what it costs to make so whether or not it's bringing in new subscribers whether or not it's the first thing that a new subscriber watches. Those are the shows that Ted Sarandos and Netflix are really hunting. Okay, so that was Ted Sarandos talking, as you mentioned there, a little bit about the way in which Netflix has been able to continue producing. Someone else who was also on the agenda and a, another great name for MIPCOM to have was, was Tyler Perry, who at his Atlanta studio has really been pioneering ways of, of continuing to produce throughout the pandemic. What did Tyler have to say? Yes, so he spoke about how he has been producing during the pandemic and he said that they've got 82 episodes in the can for 2021 which is a great effort and he really emphasized you know the need to keep production and cast and crew safe um, so he spoke about quarantining people for two weeks ahead of filming and ensuring everyone was tested every three days during a production and face masks and shields used on site and he referenced in particular protecting African Americans and people of color on set because those are the people who are dying most from the disease and he also pointed to COVID-19 adding somewhere up to 20% in costs to each production and yeah he had some really powerful things to say um, not only about yeah the importance of keeping production going but also the importance of television and the power of television to changed the world in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd at the hands of uh, US police and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. So he referenced the civil rights movement and how powerful visuals of the images from television that were seen then and how television at its best can affect change. And he's obviously active in so many different areas of TV. You know, he really spans the genres. And he talked about the importance in particular of children um, of all races and ethnicities seeing characters like themselves on television. And his Nickelodeon series, Tyler Perry's Young Dylan, uh, went on air in February. And so, yeah, he really spoke to the power of TV to affect change, which is, yeah, obviously a really important message this year. So Netflix continuing to make a, a huge impact on the industry, the Black Lives Matter movement also having a, a dramatic impact this year streamers in general and Disney also a, a major player now in this space as Clive mentioned a lot of the big stories this week have been happening outside of MIPCOM what's been going on at Disney yeah I think all these new stories really encapsulate 2020 in TV you know we've got producing in a pandemic covered by Netflix and Tyler Perry, but, and also the Black Lives Matter movement and systemic racism, and this focus on streaming and this really, the big switch that we've kind of been anticipating
playing for a good few years really being accelerated this year and Disney making an announcement this week that it is planning to accelerate its direct-to-consumer plans following the success of Disney Plus which is now available in I think 25 countries maybe more now so they're restructuring their whole media and entertainment businesses as part of that push with a focus on going direct-to-consumer and Disney Plus they're still going to be producing content for what they call legacy platforms which I suppose to you and me is those linear TV channels um, and a centralized distribution group is going to oversee sales of all content globally and I suppose it shows how much things have changed in just a few years you know usually at MIPCOM for journalists they'd put on a lunch where Ben Pine would introduce all the latest shows that are available to all the international buyers um, but obviously that's no more Ben Pine's no longer at the company and all those shows are now going straight on to Disney Plus so we are seeing this this shift and so they've set their top team as part of those changes and this is obviously against the backdrop of Disney closing some of its linear channels in certain countries we saw uh, three of its linear TV channels aimed at kids go dark at the beginning of this month following a similar move uh, towards direct to consumer in Australia and New Zealand so who knows how rapid those that change is going to come in other territories you know as Disney plus grows and grows we could see more and more linear TV channels going dark as another example of the the rapid change that's happening in the TV industry so who knows what things will look like 12 months from now as hopefully we uh, we're on the crosette again okay well thanks Nico Ed and Clive that's all we have time for in this episode but stay tuned to C21 for all the latest news coming out of the international TV industry don't forget to visit our website to read the digital editions of our MIPCOM magazines dip into our C21 screenings portal to view thousands of shows available from distributors all around the world and of course catch up on previous episodes of the podcast my name's Jonathan Webdale thanks for listening Thank you.